which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Thank you. You can be seated. We're going to start here and look at this passage or look at look at several passages on the thought of there is a fountain. And, you know, as I mentioned, we read this passage on Friday evening as we remembered uh, the work of our Savior, the sacrifice of our Savior by partaking in the Lord's Supper. And uh, this passage is where we understand what the institution of communion or the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table It's all the same thing. That's where we learn that institution at. And this is also the passage in which the fountain that is filled with blood is revealed. Uh, Jesus reveals it himself. And now just as a backstory, the disciples and Jesus, they had come together to eat the Passover. Jesus had some new revelations. He had a New Testament, it says, to impart to his disciples. And what he's doing here, he's going to institute a change from the former things and his disciples would have something new to celebrate. And the Passover, uh, just so you know what that is, that was a meal that they, the Jews would eat every year to remember God's deliverance from Egypt. And uh, you can read all about that back in Exodus chapter number 12. But for the Passover, the Israelites, they were instructed to slaughter a spotless lamb and then put its blood above the doorpost and the lentils of the house. And when God came in judgment in the homes of the Israelites and the Egyptians, uh, the Bible Bible says in uh, back over in Exodus that he would put the put to death the firstborn son in any home that did not have the blood over the doorpost. Now God provided the blood of a lamb that day. He provided a substitute sacrifice. Your your firstborn son did not have to die that night, but an innocent lamb would have. Are y'all seeing the picture here? Hey, everything points to Jesus Christ. You know what? I didn't have to die. Why? Because there was a spotless, innocent Lamb of God that died on my behalf. And so God's people, uh, they, they would celebrate this meal every single year and they would take these little lambs and they would slaughter them and the Israelites would gather together in their homes and they would remember the original Passover night. That night that the angel of death come upon them and passed over them if they had the blood on the doorpost and lintel of their homes. And so with that backdrop, Jesus refers to the cup in the Last Supper here as signifying my blood. That's what He tells them. And uh, He says, My blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He is telling them that His sacrifice is going to be for the forgiveness of of many, many, many sins. Now, He is the Passover Lamb that was, was goes all the way back to Exodus 12. He is the Passover Lamb who saves us with His blood. And when God's wrath and His judgment come, we hide under the blood of a substitute sacrifice, which is Jesus, the Lamb of God. And when we do that, we are saved from the wrath and the judgment of Almighty God. Now the truth are are moving forward. The church here had a new ordinance. The Lord's Supper. And we partake of the bread as a symbol of His broken body. And the wine as a symbol of His 
precious blood. Like I said, we did that just Friday evening and what a wonderful, what a solemn time it was in the house of God remembering what all Christ has done for us. Now the truth of Christ's substitutionary death is good news for sinners. Before the cross, we were headed to eternal death. But because of the cross, we now have eternal life if your trust is in the Son of God. At the Last Supper, I want you to notice in verse 29, I got hung up on this on Friday, but in verse number 29, Jesus promised His disciples that they would again drink of the fruit of the vine in His Father's kingdom. The picture is this right here. You know what it is? You know what the picture is? You know what He's telling them? He's telling them, boys, it's not the end. It's not the end. Jesus is going to the cross in Matthew chapter 26. This is the exact, this is what happened right before he went to the cross. But listen to me, he knows that there's another feast coming one of these days. There's a banquet that's coming in the future for all who have trusted in him. He's coming back eventually, and we're going to feast with him in his father's kingdom. That's what he says right here. John Phillips wrote this. He said, He gave thanks. Hmm. You think about this right before he's 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 all he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows what's before him. He knows what's about to happen to him. He knows the pain he was going to go through. He knew that. Oh, I'm telling you. And we just look at it on the side of spirit, uh, on the side of physical pain, and what physical, uh, what I mean, just I can't even imagine even the physical side of what all Christ went to. But let me go ahead and tell you, whatever happened physically was nothing compared to what happened spiritually to him. You think about that. So he knows what's getting ready to happen. Why? Because he is deity. He is God in the flesh. And John Phillips, he wrote this. He said he gave thanks. Y'all remember that in that passage, he gives thanks. He says he gives thanks because he could see beyond the tears. He could see beyond the torment. He could see beyond the anguish and the pain to the great multitude, which no man can number from all the races of mankind, from all the ages of time. He could see them ransomed. He could see them healed. He could see them restored, forgiven, washed in His blood, saved from their sins forever like Him. That's how Jesus could give thanks right before the crucifixion. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing what we see here in the precious Word of God? It's because of the blood of Jesus that we can celebrate deliverance from sin today. And as William Cooper wrote in the first verse of that old song, he said, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And so we see here, we have the fountain revealed but then, if you, uh, we, we have the fountain revealed here in Matthew 26, but if you'll go over to the next chapter, go over to Matthew chapter 27, and look in verse number 35. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 35. We see number two this morning, we see the fountain reviled. We see it revealed in chapter 26, we see it reviled in chapter 27. Look in verse number 35 where the Bible says, And they crucified Him and parted His garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted My garments among them, and upon My vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched Him there. 
and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And notice this in verse 39, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. That was a sign of shame. That was a sign of disgust. We all know how that is, right? You've all probably done something in front of your mama and got to watch her just do like this right here. Don't know when you're going to learn. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're looking at here. They reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. What that means is that they were doing the same thing. Everybody around Jesus that day was mocking Him. They were ridiculing Him. They were reviling Him. The Bible says, and they crucified Him and parted His garments. You think about this. Jesus lost even His clothing at the cross. He was nailed to the cross as a naked, humiliated man. And Jesus came all the way down the ladder to accomplish our salvation. He let go of absolutely everything, even His clothes becoming completely poor for us. Why did He do it? So that we could become completely rich in Him. He was reviled by the people who passed by Him on the cross. And listen to me, Jesus was not executed in a quiet building. He was not executed in a place away from the city's noise and activity. He was executed there on a public highway on a day which perhaps hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people would have been traveling. And the fact that His indictment was written in three different languages, the Bible tells us it was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, that indicates that all sort of people Passed by there that day on Golgotha's hill. This in itself was humiliating for the passerby could stare and shout bitter mockery at the victims and this mockery from the crowd had been predicted actually. And you know what's amazing? Most people in that day, if someone was getting crucified, uh, they, they didn't have to know the reason. They would just stop and hurl insults at them. They must have done something horrible. And you know for the most part, I'd say they did. But Jesus was innocent. Jesus didn't deserve to be there that day. He didn't deserve to be hung on that cross. He didn't deserve to be hung in the middle of those two thieves. We're going to see in just a moment those thieves deserved what they had. But Jesus, He didn't do anything. You know what Jesus was guilty of? He was guilty of two things and the world hates both of them. He was guilty of loving people with the truth with the truth yeah everybody everybody loves the fact that god loves them do they not but then when it gets down to the to the bitter side of this is the truth whether you like it or not that's when hatred comes out that's what happened to jesus that's what's going to happen to all of us it's being real this world doesn't like the truth 
This morning, Brother Keith, he mentioned that. He said when the world is devoid of truth, it creates its own truth. We're seeing that, are we not? It's so true. Without the Bible, without God's Word, without that moral compass, the world is left to create its own truth. And the truth it creates is as far from the truth as it could be. Mm. But you see here that day, these people were ridiculing Christ. They were reviling Him as he, as he was on the cross that day. And it had been predicted in Psalm chapter 22, verse 6 through 8, the Bible says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let Him deliver him seeing He delighted in him. And by the way, that was penned under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost by David hundreds of years before Christ was even born. Mm. Spurgeon wrote this. He said, Nothing torments a man when in pain more than mockery. When Jesus Christ most wanted words of pity and looks of kindness, they that passed by reviled Him, wagging their heads. Talk about pouring salt in the wound, right? That's the worst thing. Hey, you know what it's like? You get down. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're feeling bad. The last thing you want somebody to come by. You think about Job over there. Job lost everything he had. He, he, had, he had that sickness all over, had those boils all over him. His wife was telling him, you know, curse God and die. He, he was at the bottom of everything. And what did his friends do? They just poured salt in his wounds. Yeah. Oh, Job, there must be something you did. You must have sin in you. Could you imagine how humiliating that was for Job? Well, think about this. How humiliating was it for Christ to be hung there naked on a cross and have all these accusations railed at him? Knowing he had never done anything. Never done anything. Mm. I tell you what. It was bad enough that the unruly crowd was mocking him that day, but even the Jewish leaders had to join the attack. They said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he'll have him. How mocking was that? They said, go ahead, Jesus. You said you were the Son of God. I could just hear him. If you're the Son of God, why don't you just call your daddy and tell him to come save you? I know that's how it was. That's how it is today. How many of y'all ever talked to an atheist? How many of y'all ever talked to anybody that has a lot of hatred and bitter toward the church and bitter toward God? Here's the one thing, and I can't stand hearing it, but it's okay. They say, oh, you think your little sky daddy is going to make everything okay, don't you? Yeah. Mockery. Reviling. That's what we're talking about here. They did Christ like that. And you know what? It shouldn't surprise us when they do us like that. Jesus told us that they hated Him and they'll hate you too, He said. Why? Because of the truth. That's why we ought to prepare ourselves mentally. That's why we ought to pray. That's why we ought to walk with God. We need His strength to go out into a world and tell them that what they're thinking ain't right. Especially in our day. 
But I want to ask you something. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? The preacher said that this morning. He said he quoted there from Esther chapter 4, verse uh, 14, I believe it was, for such a time as this. You know, God don't make any mistakes. He never has made a mistake. You're alive right now for a purpose, for a reason. And my friend, what a time to be alive. You think about this. You think about this. What a time to be alive in, in a world that needs the truth more today than they ever have. Yeah. A day that the truth is being attacked left and right constantly. What a day to be alive and be able to tell the truth of Jesus Christ. What a day to be alive that we've got technology that we can put a sermon out or put a, put a church service out or write a blog and people all over the world within a matter of seconds has access to it. What a time to be alive, y'all. Really? What a time to be alive. It goes with the preacher's message this morning. We ought to be doing something with it. But here's the thing. They mocked him. They reviled our precious Savior on the cross that day. He had saved others. But listen to me. If He had saved Himself, then nobody else could have been saved. He did not come to save His life. He came to give it as a ransom for sinners. That's what He told us. Warren Wiersbe said this. He wrote this. It was the fact that He stayed on the cross that proved His divine sonship. You think about that. The fact that He stayed on the cross that day. The fact that He went in front of the leaders, in front of, the in front of those people that day as a lamb to the slaughter. The Bible says He opened not His mouth. Hey, I couldn't do it. No. Only the Son of God could do something like that. To walk in there knowing what was ahead of him. Keep his mouth shut. He never sinned. He was perfect. He was spotless. Hey, if, if he had a sinned, if he had a contradicted himself, if he had a slipped up just a little bit, we'd all be on the way to hell today. Think about that. Only the Son of God could do what he did. It's significant that the crowd that day mocked Jesus because you know what they did? And everything that they mocked Him for, they actually told who He really was and is in their mockery. You see, they mocked Him as a Savior, and He is the Savior. They mocked Him as King. He is King. They mocked Him as a believer who trusted in God. Yeah, He did. They mocked Him as the Son of God. Well, He was! As a matter of fact, I ain't going to preach it this morning, but I preached it before that... that uh, <laughs> I find it amazing. We're going to go to that passage in a minute, Luke chapter 23. But that thief that got saved that day on the cross, you know where he heard the gospel from? He, he heard it from all the mockery that day. All these people said, Oh, you say you're the Son of God. I could see that thief over there. Well, maybe he is. Oh, you say you're the Son of God. Oh, you say you believe in God. You well, maybe I ought to trust in this God. Hey, if y'all don't like that, just let me have a party, okay? I love it. God can use anything for His purpose. He used that for the purpose of saving that old boy that day. Amen. We're going to see that in a minute. 
They mocked Him as Savior. They mocked Him as King. They mocked Him as a believer who trusted God. They mocked Him as the Son of God. He was reviled that day. So in Matthew chapter 27, we find the fountain reviled. But then look over in Luke chapter 23 this morning. Luke chapter 23. It's over here in Luke chapter 23 where we find the fountain revered. We have the fountain revealed, the fountain reviled, and then we have the fountain revered in Luke chapter 23. Look in verse number 39 with me. The Bible says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. See, he's doing the same thing that the leaders were doing. He was saying the same thing that the people were mocking Christ with. He was reviling him. And the verse 40 says, But the other... Who's that? The other thief. He was hung between two thieves. It says, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for thou art, or, or for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. What is he saying? He's looking at that old that other thief on the other side of Jesus. He's saying, Hey man, do you not fear God? We deserve what we're getting. But this man don't. Yeah, you think about that. Hmm. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Oh, man. You just think about that. That old boy didn't have time to be baptized and you need to be baptized. I'm just saying that because Catholics believe you got to be baptized in order to be saved. That old boy wasn't baptized. That old boy didn't have time for Bible college. That old boy didn't even have time to go to a church service. He never made it to a Bible study. But you know what he did? He found the Lord that day right next to him. And he believed in Him. God took him to paradise that day. I like Alistair Begg. He's got a little thing. Uh, if you're ever on social media, you can look it up. He's got a sermon he preached one day. Alistair Begg did. It's called the middle. The man, the man on the middle said I could come. He he kind of gets in his imagination for a little bit, and that message I love it fires me up every time I watch it. He says, I could just imagine that old boy. He, he got up to the pearly gates and there's, there's somebody sitting there and they look at him and they got a, they got a paper in their hand. They're just sitting there going, uh, yes, sir, what's your name? He's like, uh, I'm, I'm the thief. Uh, well, what are you doing here? I, I really don't know. He said, well, uh, uh, when did you get saved? Um, a while ago. I think. <laughs> Y'all just go with it, okay? He said, well, well did, you, did you get baptized? Uh, I, I don't know what that means. Um, okay. Did, did you ever, did you, ever uh, uh, did you go to Bible school? I don't know what that is. Is that church? Uh, I don't guess so. Check. Did you ever, did you ever go to church? Uh, no, I don't, I don't know. Then why are you here? He looks at me and says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. <laughs> you know? Fires me up. Hey, we get caught up in so much stuff. 
We complicate everything we put our hands on as humans. But you know what? That day, that thief walked into paradise because that man in the middle made all the difference. Who was that? That was Jesus Christ. You see, we got religion that says you got to be baptized. We got religion that says you got to you got to do the Eucharist, and we got religion that says you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this and do that. But you know what? The only thing that thief knew is the man on that middle cross said he could go. He said, "Today thou shalt be with me in paradise." It was Jesus he was talking to that day. It was Jesus that told him. Mm-hmm. That ought to do something for you. That story of the repentant thief, it's only it's found only in Luke's account of the crucifixion. This thief, he, you think about it, he had slandered and ridiculed, reviled the Son of God, but he came to his senses. The other criminal still hurled insults at the Son of God, but this criminal began to see the light. This criminal rebuked the other and sought forgiveness from Christ. This man understood that he was dying because of his crimes, but he also came to understand that Jesus was also dying from this man's crimes as well. He wouldn't die of his own crimes, Jesus wouldn't. He had no crimes. Mm. You know what? Jesus died for my crimes. He died for your crimes. He died in our place. Yes, He did. The criminal knew it was because of his deeds that they were dying, but he came to understand that Jesus was completely innocent and the only crown that this world ever had for Jesus was a crown of thorns. The only honor this world would ever offer uh, Jesus was to accept Him as King if He came down from the cross. The only tribute this world would pay Jesus was a mocking title nailed to the most hideous tool of torment ever devised by fallen man. But this thief cried, Lord, remember me when Thou comest into thy kingdom. You can hear it in his voice. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed what he was doing there was paying the sin debt for his sins. And he believed that he had a kingdom and that he was going to it. So he said, Lord. (laughs) You don't call nobody Lord unless you believe Him. Yeah. Saying, Master, Sovereign, God, I give myself up and I will serve You. That's why we call Him Lord. Yes. This man was saved by faith. He looked beyond that day and he saw the King of glory from Psalm chapter 24. He saw the King of all the earth from Psalm 47. He saw the King of heaven from Daniel 4. He saw the King of Israel from John 1. He saw the everlasting King from Jeremiah 10. He saw the King of righteousness and the King of peace from Hebrews 7. He saw the King of saints from Revelation 16. And he saw the King of kings from Revelation 19. And he threw himself at his feet and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And what did the Lord say? He said, today 
Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. But beyond the cross, he saw a crown. And as William Coper wrote in this beautiful song, he said, The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, the vile as he, wash all my sins away. Hey, you know what was in the middle of those two thieves? There was a fountain flowing with everlasting blood that would save Mankind. Mm. You think about that. You realize that there's a very good possibility that day. That was the first act of intercession. Did you know that day everything was changing? Before that day, mankind. <laughs> you just think about all this. I'd be here all day. You just think about it. Before then, there was no... Before then... We didn't have that comforter inside of us. You ever wondered why the disciples did what they did? You ever wondered why they struggled like they did? You ever wondered why uh, even Mary, they come on, even though the preacher said it this morning, uh, Matthew 28, 6, uh, Christ had rose from the dead. But yet they went to the tomb expecting to see His dead body there. What did the angel say? He is not here. He has risen as He said. They should have known. Look at the time that they spent. You know what the problem was? They didn't have that comforter. That ought to be a privilege. That Hey, hey! if y'all don't get nothing from that, you ought to think of how, how blessed we are today. Why did the disciples take it so hard? Hey, Jesus was going away. The man they had given their life for three and a half years had ate with him, slept, and, and just lived with him and went everywhere he went. He was going to disappear. They were sorrowful. And what did he do? He said, if I don't go away, I can't send the comforter to you. Oh, we are a blessed people, y'all. For such a time as this, it is wonderful to live right now. I can go to the throne room anytime that I want to. I've got the very Spirit of God living inside of me that helps me live right. Yeah. That comforts me when I'm hopeless. And I'm never really hopeless as a child of God. When you get down in the dumps, you get depressed, you get discouraged, that little still small voice will point out a beautiful word in His Scripture. Yes! They didn't have that before the cross. I'm so thankful for the cross. I'm so thankful for the intercession of our darling Savior. Jesus is the hope of heaven. Jesus is the promise of heaven. Jesus is the reward of heaven. Jesus is the fountain filled with blood today. In the fourth stanza of that old song, William Coper wrote this. He said, Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Oh man, what beautiful words. Hey, when you look at Calvary, when you look at the cross today, I see a Savior who loved me so much that He willingly took my place on that cross. I see a Savior who loved me so much 
And he made a way that I could be saved from my sin, that I could be saved from an eternity in hell. Oh, if he had just saved me, that would have been enough to shout about. But he didn't stop there. He's given me a wonderful life. He's given me a beautiful life. No, I ain't rich. I ain't never looking to be rich on this earth. No, I ain't popular. I ain't never looking to be popular on this earth. He's given me a good life. He's given me what I need. And He allows me to share it with others around me. What a beautiful life that is. He is the fountain filled with blood. What else does He tell us over there in John 4? He tells us that we have a fountain. He's not only the the fountain of of blood, He's a fountain of everlasting water. (laughs) Yes. You know what? When you study it all out, here's the, here's the simple fact of the matter. He's everything that we ever need. He's everything that we ever need. And you know what he tells us? He tells us that that, that, that that living water will be a fountain, a well of living water springing up from within you. What's that talking about? You'll go out and share it with others. You'll tell this world that there's a better way to live. You'll tell this world about Jesus who died on the cross so that they could go to heaven. Amen. I see that hill today as the place where my past was erased and my future was forever secured. I see that fountain where all my sins were washed away. And I'm going to tell you something. We're all going to make a choice. We're all going to make a choice to either revile the fountain or revere the fountain. Here's the thing today. Would you trust in Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? And if you are saved, if you are saved, you ought to fall in love a little bit more with Him today. Knowing what all He has done for us. And you know what? I'm so glad that He died on that cross. He paid my sin debt, but honey, He did not stay in that tomb. He's alive and He's well. (laughs) His Spirit resides inside of us. If you're saved today, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Oh, man. Helping us live the Christian life. Helping us be who we ought to be. Let me ask you some questions. Have you mocked the Lord with your lifestyle? Have you reviled Him with your mouth? Have you condemned Him with the criminals? Have you mocked Him with hypocritical worship? And you know what? Fact of the matter is Christians can do those things too. Y'all remember Peter, right? After Jesus was taken there and he was scourged and he was beaten, all the while Peter's outside telling people he has no idea who he is. He's denying him. He's cursing. He's swearing. People trying to convince them that he's not one of the disciples. But you know what? If there's anything Peter teaches us, it's failure ain't final. And I'm happy to tell you if you've been a hypocrite in church, and there's plenty out there, you ain't got to stay that way. Failure's not final. If you've mocked the Lord with your lifestyle, then it's time to get right. If you've reviled Him with your mouth, it's time to get right. There's a fountain filled with blood that was shed for you and I. Please don't take it for granted today. Let's stand and bow our heads, close our eyes. Miss Dawn, come play softly for us, please.
There's a fountain filled with blood. 